by the powers vested in me by the Federal Communications Commission, I command you to get on the microphone in a serious manner and continue this broadcast. Welcome to Cairo Nights. I'm Spike O'Neill. Matt Butler, how are you, my friend? I'm all right. We're going to have to remember how we did radio before the internet. Yeah, we're going to play records all night. Oh, well, It's a jukebox. Hey, it's going to hey. be a great night. There you go. Now, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're doing a little, a little service uh, maintenance here at Cairo News Radio. And, and that's cool. This is a good time to do it. I've got no problem with that. Uh, hope you guys had a fine day, a fine Tuesday. The first day of the week for a lot of you out there today. A lot of you benefited from President's Day yesterday, had the day off from your employer, from uh, our company gave people the day off. The federal government gave people the day off. Bankers, post office workers, they all had the day off yesterday. So if today was your Monday, welcome to a four-day work week. Hope you guys had a fine start. You know, starting on Tuesday, is just it's just better. You feel better when you start your work week on a Tuesday because you feel like you're already cheating the boss. And even if you're not. Even if you're not cheating the boss, thinking and feeling like you're cheating the boss makes you feel good. And I don't mean to disparage, you know, productivity. America is a very productive company or a country, right? We get stuff done in America, uh, despite the uh, evidence to the contrary or rumors of our demise. Record high uh, productivity, despite that. Apparently, so many people seem to be both fully employed and broke. <laughs> It's amazing how we can do that. Only Americans can pull that off a 60-hour work week and completely broke. That's America. But you know, uh, the productivity numbers, well, it's, they're true. Well, when, when you have eight people doing the work of 12, as most of us have had to put up with, with downsizing and layoffs and all the things, you know, when they lay off people, they don't seem to lay off the amount of work that needs to be getting done. They just lay off the amount of people around to do that work. So, by necessity, we all become more productive. We can hang our hat on that. It's a good thing to be more productive. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the mayor's state of the city address today and how he thinks Seattle has a lot to look forward to. Because if you look behind you, you see the mugger with the meth pipe and you really get scared. So you don't want to look behind you. Look forward, Seattle. Seattle's got a long way to come back from a pre-pandemic numbers. But we're getting there. Seattle is almost, the downtown corridor is almost to 50% of the, uh, the office space occupancy of our pre-pandemic days. We're at 43% now, according to the mayor. But according to Mayor Harrell, uh, and he's right about this, I agree a thousand percent, Seattle has so much more to offer than other major cities who are trying to make their comeback from pre-pandemic numbers. He says the, the state of Seattle is strong. We've got uh, we've got people coming back to work. My Amazon announced that they're bringing their folks back to work three days a week. So those folks will return to the city, and with them comes the lunch crowd and the working class and all the folks that haven't been coming downtown. And, and you know, when the pandemic hit and the city was vacated, was abandoned by the working class folks of Seattle because no one could come to work, you know, it, it, nature abhors a vacuum is the statement. And when there's nobody coming to work downtown, that's when the seedier elements of our life uh, tend to come in and take over. And that's really what happened in Seattle. I don't know if you ever came to Seattle, Matt, right when the pandemic hit. 
Yeah, and you weren't even in town yet, right? You were you weren't here yet. Yeah, I wasn't here. Uh you're point. you're so lucky because oh it was post apocalyptic to see downtown Seattle when everything was closed. I mean everything was closed. Yeah, I literally saw people building bonfires on the sidewalk. It was like a Mad Max movie. It was really pretty terrifying. But we're coming back. You know, as as per the mayor's dictum today, uh, people are already, it's uh, texters, 888-973-5476 is the text line. Strong. Yes, the city's prognosis is strong. There's a lot to be thankful for. There's a lot to be proud of. There's a lot of work to do. Nobody's naive about that. But we'll make it back. You know, it's we talked about this numerous times before, and I've never varied from this. It's a city worth saving. It's a city that is worth fighting for, worth working for. But, you know, the mayor is also today, uh, we need some help. You know, we, we can't deny the crime in the city. You can't deny the fact that this city needs uh, to take care of the criminal element downtown, that the city needs to address its uh, those experiencing homelessness, the unhoused. We need to address those issues or people aren't going to come back down to the city of Seattle. And you're not going to recover until it's a safe place to come. One thing the mayor acknowledged today, it needs to be a safe place. The mayor said he walked Third Avenue to kind of get a feel for the city. And you know what the mayor saw? People smoking fentanyl. What? That's right. At least the mayor had the had the stones to walk the city and find out what the hell's going on out there. Didn't do it from a tower, from his office at City Hall. The mayor got out in the street and saw the trouble. And the mayor knows until you make that trouble uh, not no longer a threat to the people that work and shop and recreate in Seattle, no one's coming back. So good for you, mayor. Way to get out there. It's a look forward kind of town. I'm, I was, you know, of course, what else is the mayor going to say? The mayor's going to come out and say, oh my God, it's a hellscape. Everybody run for your lives. Of course, that's not what the mayor's going to say. His job is to be optimistic, but realistic. Okay. You can't just, you know, blow smoke up people's skirts. People aren't stupid. People know what they see on the streets of Seattle. People know when they come downtown and they see graffiti everywhere. I know graffiti is an ongoing problem. And there's a graffiti task force. There are now penalties for graffiti artists. And I, I try to be generous with my description of graffiti. A lot of it is creative, but it's not art. It's vandalism. My daughter lived in Brooklyn, Matt, for about eight years, right? And in her section of Brooklyn, in the Bushwick section of Brooklyn, those folks do graffiti. I mean, like, it is true art. There are building-side murals that are graffiti, not just tagging your name, your handle in a couple different colors. That's not, that's not art. That's vandalism. And they're raising the penalty on, on vandalism, on graffiti, vandalism. We've got to get the city looking good. Got to get the city cleaned up. Got to get the homeless, those experiencing homelessness, the unhoused, I'm trying to find the way to remember how to say that respectfully. It's going to take some doing. Got to find a way to get these folks off the street into transitional housing. All these things are in the works. I mean, the reason we have a new mayor is because the old mayor kind of booted it. The old police chief booted it. 
did a terrible job. I mean, between giving up part of the city for CHOP, abandoning a police station to uh, an element that just ran roughshod over the city, now the city's got to pay millions of dollars to settle with the businesses that were displaced because of the CHOP situation. You can't have that kind of leadership and expect the city to thrive or survive even. So I'm optimistic. As, I'm as optimistic as Mayor Harrell is about the state of Seattle. I like the mayor's. I like this quote. There's no better example of where this unabashed boldness is needed than our downtown. My executive team could cite chapter and verse what other cities are trying to do, from the remote work revolution to every evolved retail landscape. The issues facing our downtown are not unique to Seattle, but what is unique are the resources that we have, the energy and the focus we can harness to solve these problems, to transform our downtown, and quite candidly, write a new playbook for this country on what a downtown neighborhood should look like. Beautifully written, well delivered, but I, could, I couldn't agree more. You know, you can clean up Houston and reinvest in Houston all you want. You're still in Houston. I got nothing against Houston. But it's not Seattle. You know, when you get this city back on its feet, when you get this city cleaned up, when you get the city back to work, when you get the city, uh, you know, when you get those folks who need a helping hand, the helping hand they need, and get them off the streets, get them out from under the, the overpasses. You know, the, when people stop coming downtown to work, when they stop coming in downtown to, to eat lunch at work, when they stop shopping downtown, the city loses revenue, city loses tax base. And you can't afford to take care of the city. It's kind of a secular thing. When folks start to come back, when businesses start to reopen, there's investment in the city. There's a tax base in the city. You can afford to take care of those folks who are experiencing homelessness. You can afford to clean up the graffiti in town. You can afford more police officers in town to make sure that it's a safe place to bring your family, to recreate down on the waterfront, to visit the historic docks and and piers of Seattle's waterfront area. To come down to a ball game, you know, to see whether it's the Sounders or the Mariners or the Seahawks, whomever, the rain, whoever is playing downtown, the Kraken at the Climate Pledge Arena, whether it's coming to see a concert at the, ple- at the Climate Pledge. When the city doesn't feel safe, no one's coming downtown to do any of this stuff. Hey, I like that. Save my life. Going, yeah, that's our, that's our new motto. That's our new mantra in Seattle. I like that. Hold on to that. We'll have to use that again tonight. I like that. You know, the new convention center, they're they're going to bring uh, conventions into Seattle, and those people come. They stay at hotels. That's more tax base. They spend money when they're here. The city's investing in the future. And like Mayor Harrell says, you know, you've got to be optimistic and move forward and know that we've got so much to be thankful for, so much to be proud of. In this city, we've got resources no other city has. We've got a tech sector that is booming in Seattle. We've got a medical research sector that is booming in Seattle. Sure, it has made housing costs almost unattainable and unlivable for a lot of us. I understand it's it's one of the most expensive cities in America to live in. That's a challenge. Spike, to whom much is given, much is required. I think part of the solution to this problem has to come from the companies who have benefited the most from the tech explosion in Seattle, don't you? I couldn't agree more, but the last time we tried to do that, they, what, threatened to move, right? That, uh, was it the head tax, they called it? 
right? When, when companies like, and we don't want to point any fingers or name any names, Amazon. But when you've become the biggest, most powerful retail on the face of the earth, and you've done it on the backs of Seattleites, you kind of have to help, uh, you know, fund your fair share of making the city up a place where you're, even your own workers can survive and afford to live. Right? I mean, Amazon, I think it's great that Amazon announced they're, they're coming back to work. Three days a week, Amazon will be back in the office. Yeah, that means so much more to the businesses outside of Amazon. A lot of businesses didn't make it. You know, they folded up a shop when, when, the, when the pandemic hit. And other businesses will take their place or some of them will come back and survive as the workers come back to town and investment is returned into the city. Oh, texters, uh, you know, I appreciate opposing points of view, but I don't know about shooting vandals on site. It's not martial law out there. It's not Armageddon. It's not the the last of us. And the other problem is, let's be practical. The police are already overburdened. Do you really want them to have to deal with all of those sorts of issues, too? Like justifiable homicide and dealing with the bodies and the, like, come I mean, it sounds crass, but it's true. I, I, I know, like, buddy. I hear it's, you. It's, a, it's another complication that doesn't actually solve the problem. And in fact, if you're a junkie deep in your addiction, you're not worried about getting shot so much as you're more worried about not getting high again. It's not much of a deterrent to say, hey, somebody got shot trying to rob that guy. No, you're right. People still addicts, try it. Addicts are still going to need to get fixed. That's why I said that investing in the city's well-being, the citizens of the city's well-being, including those experiencing homelessness, you know, from a mental health perspective, from a, a an addiction perspective, you know, we've got a budget in this town. The mayor's uh, the mayor's budget is is massive. Let's make sure those resources are spent where they can do the best. A texter Gary points out, I would love to come down and eat dinner in downtown Seattle, the butcher's table, great place. But I'm still leery of parking my Toyota unattended for an hour in that part of the city. You're not wrong. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Car break-ins are a terrible thing. But when you when you start to clean up the city and bit more businesses open up, those those problems are dealt with. Whether it's through more police force, on to, I mean, they're hiring more cops. They're doing their best to hire more cops and the right people for the job. Uh, and people say, you know, businesses didn't just fold up; they were forced closed by the government. With me, I don't know if I would agree with that assessment. I don't know if I would agree that the government forcibly closed up business. The government, we don't want to get into the whole debate of whether the vaccine was effective, you know, because there's too many people spreading misinformation about that. You know, when, when the city closed down, when the government closed down the city, it was a pandemic killing that killed a million Americans that we didn't know which way it was going to go. We really didn't know what we were dealing with. We erred on the side of caution and we still lost a million Americans. I don't want to get political. I want to get. I want to be optimistic about my town. I like Seattle. I think it's a great town. I think when it does come back, and it will come back, everything's cyclical. We got different leadership. We got a different chief of police. We got a different mayor. The whole city council's packing up and going away because they did a boot job as well. We'll get a new. We'll get a new group of leaders in. We'll readjust our priorities. We'll make course corrections. The city will come roaring back. I promise you. Seattle's not dead. Seattle's got a lot of life left in it. 
Trust me, in about 25 years, we'll be the only city in America under 80 degrees on average. This city's going to be just fine. It's Kyra Knights. I'm Spike O'Neill. Along with Matt Butler, we'll be right back after these. No matter what I do, I'm still hungry for you from the police. Let's go play Omega Man, that dystopian, I'm the Omega Man. Or when the world is running down, you make the best. When Seattle's running down, you make the best what's still around. All great. Those are the great choice, man. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. I'm Spike O'Neill with Matt Butler. You know, we're talking about the state of Seattle. Mayor Harrell's address to the city. And I get it, all you texters that have uh, just given up on town. I, I, I understand. I'm not saying you're wrong about all the problems that we have in the city of Seattle. You are absolutely right. A texter loved Matt's choice of head east to close out the last segment because he says a lot of a lot of our residents are heading east where criminals are held accountable. Uh, I understand. I understand the frustration. You know, one thing I miss about Dory Monson since we lost Dory, he was not sitting still about his hometown and the shape it was in. I, I admired that tremendously. I, yeah, I hope you, I hope you believe me when I tell you. I loved. I, I didn't agree with a lot of what Dory had to say, but when he stood up for Seattle, right there with him, every step of the way. One of the frustrating things about this argument, though, is it's one thing to tell people statistically we're doing better, mm-hmm. or that any particular metric of health or happiness in civilization is getting better. Mm-hmm. When you're the person that's affected by it or seeing it, and it doesn't feel that way to you, the numbers don't make any difference. So oh, rightly or wrongly, from a yeah. scientific standpoint, this is how people feel. But from a logical standpoint, to me, it's important to recognize that every major urban area, including places like Austin, Texas, not in a red state, Dallas, not in a red state, you mentioned Houston, all of these urban areas, for the most part, experience these problems. Difference is that some of them hide them better. Yeah. And I believe that the highest murder rate per capita in America is in Oklahoma, right? A red state. This isn't just a red, it's not a red and blue problem. I, I'll give you, as I said during the last break, our local uh, local government in Seattle let us down terribly. And we've got a new sheriff in town or a new police chief, we've got a new mayor in town. So let's, let's play a little bit of Mayor Harrell. I got some audio in here, Matt. I got this. Let me, I should be able to pull this off. I've, I've learned a few things in the last seven months here at Cairo. A couple clips of the mayor during his state of the city address. Look, I'm, I'm bullish on downtown. Let me, let me say it again. I am bullish on our downtown. 100,000 residents, over 320,000 jobs. The undisputed economic engine and cultural hub of our region, our downtown is a special place in this country understands that. The problems we are facing are not insurmountable. And the opportunities, therefore, are immense. And I know that's what he's supposed to say. It's a mayor going to get up there and say, run for the hills. It's over. I quit. I not, nothing I can do. It's beyond hope. Of course he's not going to say that because that's not the case. Of course all these problems exist. 
they're there. We can see them every day. Here's, here's the mayor on the homeless situation in Seattle. In our one Seattle that we envision and we are trying to lead, we believe that no one should have to live outside sheltered. Nobody. So in our first year, we responded to homelessness like the crisis it is. That started with our administration pioneering the Unified Care Team, or UCT work, a simple yet novel concept that by aligning all of our city departments working on homelessness and aligning them and organizing, organizing them the right way, we can do better for those living on the street and everyone in our communities. Now, the facts bear this to be true. In 2022, the UCT delivered over 1,800 referrals to shelter in partnership with contract outreach providers, helping connect those experiencing homelessness with places to go, with service resources. So they know the problems. They're going to address the problems that we have in this town. They're, they're, they're doing the right things. They're, it's going to take time. You know, and Matt's your, your point about, uh, you know, we can we can tell you that violent crime is down 30 percent in the last quarter of last year. All those all those numbers were delivered during the state of the city address, you know, 30 um, percent drop in violent crime. Blah, 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 blah. Got a lot of work to do. Seattle wouldn't say 30 percent drop in crime from January to October of last year. According to the SPD statistics. But that means nothing to someone who's been the victim of crime. When it happens to you, you don't want to hear about numbers. You don't want to hear about stats. You want to know, you know what are you doing to help us? But it's like so many things that are political. It's all based on emotion or mood more than policies or what policies are actually taking effect or not taking effect. If you were to believe a certain percentage of America and the American press right now, you would believe that California was just doomed and there was nobody left. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you would. But as the old song goes, ain't necessarily so. Ain't, uh, not at all. You know, we talk about Mayor Harrell said it's got to be a safe city to be in, right? So here's here's the mayor's comments about the the police department. Now we're also ramping up our marketing spending in these areas fivefold, using modern digital advertisements to reach a diverse area of applicants from communities across the city. And I tell those interested in police reform, protect the communities you love and serve. This is our recruitment strategy. I'm working with those interested in helping us build up a great department. Last year, I attended every single patrol roll call to meet with our officers. That was a modern first. Now, I needed them to know how much I appreciated their strong public service. That's the first reason I met with them. I also needed them to know my expectations as their mayor. And I also needed them to know that they can be the biggest recruiters as we rebuild the apartment in a one Seattle way. This is a journey they are on with me to help restore public trust, to help restore public confidence. And that's what it's going to take. You know, we keep talking about the problems downtown, and it always comes back to the same thing. Crime. And how safe are you? Who's going to come downtown to work or shop or recreate if you don't feel safe? They're going to address these problems. They're doing everything they can. It's tough to find law enforcement officers these days. It's a nationwide recruiting challenge for every law enforcement department, every every police department, coast to coast. You know, when you're recruiting police officers and you've got Seattle for them to live in, that's a nice little incentive. That's a nice, uh, nice little bit of a 
little meat on the hook there to get officers to come here. And they're being competitive in their pay nationwide. They've got the money. They're doing what they can to find the officers to, to make this a safe place to be, a clean place to be. Uh, and I want to play this clip about the mayor r- realizing that the city has changed. It's never going to be the city it once was. The truth is, the new downtown is going to be different. And that's what we want. That's what we need. Downtown must be a place for everyone. A testimony to people at home and around the world of a metropolis not in decay, but ever on the rise. We are taking a one-sale approach to developing this plan through public-private philanthropic partnerships, and we are aligning our investments, our ideas, our energy toward the common goal of rebuilding downtown Seattle. Now, some cynics, Taylor, some cynics may demand the exact blueprint for our entire downtown immediately. But we need to do this right. It has to be sustainable. And we're working seven days a week to deliver. Sounds like a guy who knows what he's talking about. You know, you, you folks who want to bring more, you know, of a... Uh, want to point the finger of it's been democratically run and that's why we got the problems we have there's a lot to that argument there's a lot to that but this is this is going to be a democratic half of the state and there's not much we can do about that that's just the voting tendencies of the western half of washington we're state divided we're republican eastern half of the state democratic western half of the state this mayor (laughs) it's the texter. Is the mayor still talking? He's got got a lot to say. Yeah, the mayor's still talking. I guess my whole point of this last couple of segments, you folks are saying you're, you're going and you're never coming back. Seattle's a ghost of its former self. Good. Maybe my rent will go down. (laughs) There's, there's that. I mean, it's worth saving. It's savable. Sounds like we got a guy in the mayor's office who's up to the task. We we know what doesn't work. We've got new leadership from the mayor's office to the chief of police to the, a new. There'll be a new city council pretty darn soon. You got to address the problems we with, with, that are facing our city, like crime, like drugs, like homelessness. It sounds like they've they've got a plan to do that. It's Kyra Knights. I'm Spike O'Neill with Matt Butler. Hey, we're just chewing the fat together, folks. 888-973-5476. Let us know what you think. Be right back after these. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. We're talking about the problems the city faces and how we can probably... Uh, begin to attack these problems and solve these problems. And one of the textures point out that Mayor Harrell's uh, comments about law enforcement and recruiting in law enforcement remind him of a story he heard earlier today. This morning I was sitting in with G. Scott in the G. and Ursula show. We talked a bit about the story and I thought it would be worth bringing up right now. Uh, the city of Tequila had to fire a police officer for use of excessive force for repeated use of excessive force. There was a, he had this officer, Christopher Backus, had a three-year run, three-year career with the Tequila Police Department. 
uh, he was fired in 2017 after three straight years of instances of excessive use, sex of violence against citizens, teenagers. He would, uh, he would tase teenagers. At one teenager, he threw against a concrete planter and then tased him and had the wrong kid. Anyway, there were three different cases against this particular officer, Officer Bacchus. And he was fired by the city. And then because the police union does whatever they can do to protect their officers. And I, I, I'm a fan of unions. But sometimes people need to be removed from their positions. This particular officer showed a, a track record of abusing his authority. And the city fired him. The union stepped in and they had to literally pay this officer $75,000 in exchange for a promise to resign. Because that was the cheapest way out for the city of Tequila. Was to get this guy, was to buy him out of the job rather than a lengthy legal fight with the union that was trying to keep this officer who three different times had been charged, found to use excessive force to get him out of their department. Now here's where the story gets ugly. This isn't even the ugly part of the story. Part of Officer Bacchus's settlement with the city of Tequila was they scrubbed his personnel record. And now he is working for it City of Tenino. He got hired by Tenino with that kind of a record, with that kind of abusive background, excessive use of force in three different instances. That's, that's the kind of stuff that drives me nuts. You know, I, I am very pro-law enforcement. Let's not, let's not confuse anything here. I'm pro-teacher, but there are bad teachers. I'm pro-cops, but there are bad cops sometimes. They're a very, very small percentage of the law enforcement community. That's easy to say. But they're the ones that get all the spotlight. They're the ones that give the good cops and good agencies all the bad publicity. You know, and normally I'm pretty pro-union, but it's the, it's the abuses of law enforcement that have made me think that in that situation, maybe they shouldn't be unionized because they've covered for a lot of junk in that profession over decades. It's corrupt. And, and to, be, to be fair, there has been a, a culture of CYA for a lot of law enforcement organizations. They keep it quiet. They cover their, they cover their backs. They look out for their own. But I think that culture's changed. Of late. I really do. I think public demand, and I'm not talking about defund the police. I'm talking about police accountability. But do you think it's changed or have they just sort of gotten quiet for a while? And it's one of those things where there's a dust up, people get upset, like in the George Floyd situation. And then a few years later, it's back to business as usual, because a lot of those types of people have still not been weeded out of the institutions like law enforcement. I, I think, Matt, it's a great question. I think the culture has changed. I don't think we'll ever go back. I don't think we'll be able to just keep it quiet for a couple of years and go back to business as unusual. I think there have been so many instances of public outcry. And I'm not talking about riots in the streets. I'm talking about protests. I'm talking about I'm talking about the spotlight of news coverage for different I'm talking about holding officers accountable. Like the story two weeks ago from Nashville where the officers were indicted and they're already in court, charged with second-degree murder of a young man. I mean, I think the days of sweeping it under the rug and hoping it goes away and letting America forget about it, I think those days are gone. I really do. Um, I think that the 
George Floyd a Justice Act that they're trying to pass in Congress? I know that the uh, it didn't get passed because the Republicans offered a a counter piece of legislation that didn't uh, th- that still gave the police uh, the was a co- immunity uh, against being charged with crimes when they when the commission of their job and uh, and didn't outlaw chokeholds and didn't outlaw no knock warrants. Those are the three different elements of. The George Floyd Justice Act that were the cornerstones of the Democratic piece of legislation. What I liked about the George Floyd Justice Act was a national database of officers who had committed acts of misconduct. So they couldn't hide by going to some small town police department halfway across the country. Exactly. So you couldn't have your personnel records scrubbed of 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 abusive actions against the community you were protected. You were hired to serve and protect. A national database, so a, a, a bad cop can't go underground in this city and, like Matt said, pop up in the city halfway around the country, being the same POS that he was when he got fired from his last job. And just a reminder, it used to be to protect and to serve. Yeah. They work for us, not the other way around. And I think it is still that way for the vast majority of law enforcement community, off, law enforcement officers, and a vast majority of, of officers coast to coast. That they are good people doing a very, very, very difficult job. But it's guys like this officer who was able to just get his personal record scrubbed. Because it was it was the cheapest way for the city to get out of the situation. Because like you said, the unions sometimes go to bat for the wrong guys. Some guys deserve to lose their job when they abuse their privilege. Especially at a, a job that gives you lethal force. You know, the power of life and death over your community. It's Kyra Knights. I'm Spike O'Neill with Matt Butler. We'll be right back.